Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me each week as we explore the minds of living composers. We talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Dr. Lori DeLeon. Formerly known as Lori Betts Hughes, Lori earned her bachelor's in piano and musicology from Oberlin Conservatory of Music, a master's in choral conducting from Colorado State University, and a DMA in choral conducting from the University of Washington. Go Huskies. Her compositions have been performed throughout the United States by ensembles such as the Colorado Chorale, Coravoce, Casper Children's Chorale, North Seattle College Choir, and Orchestra Unlimited, just to name a few. Lori was a national finalist in the BMI John Lennon Songwriting Competition, and her pieces are available through Walton, Santa Barbara Music Publishing, and self-published through Dandelion Music Press. Lori DeLeon, welcome to Movable Dough. Thank you. What a thrill. <laughs> so as I was reading your bio, I found out that you and I are the same age. Both Yay! born in 1977, which is probably the best year ever. Best. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to know about your childhood since we were growing up at the same time. Uh, where did you grow up? Well, um, I grew up most of the way in uh, the outskirts of Washington, D.C., uh, Rockville, Maryland. Um, my folks were older. This was a second slash third marriage. And so they retired and we moved to Arizona and I went to high school. In <laughs> so was your family musical when you were growing up? My mom was. You don't even mess with mom on Tuesday <laughs> nights. Mom goes and does her thing. Uh -huh. She was a charter founding member of the Choral Arts Society of Washington and had answered an ad in the paper to get a pickup group together to do uh, Messiah one year. And they that's how Choral Arts Society of Washington was born. Oh, wow. And so when I was old enough, I got to go to choral concerts in the Kennedy Center. And she decided eight was old enough and I was just biding my time <laughs> waiting to go. And then, like, um, yeah, I got to see all kinds of really awesome things with mom's choir. So. Oh, that's fantastic. So were you doing piano lessons or school yeah. ensembles and things like that? Yep. All the things I could. Yeah. But piano lessons was the thing. So and uh, yeah, at some point there were two careers that I only ever wanted. Um, I wanted to be first a pilot. It was, I think it was inspired by Top Gun and I'm going to fly for the military. <laughs> um, and uh, at some point it dawned on me that like my vision is not good enough and they don't accept LASIK correction and mm -hmm. um, you're not tall enough and you're not really a jock, you know, and that's really more <laughs> the type that they want. And oh, by the way, you're a gal. We don't let those guys fly. <laughs> and so this is, you know, things have all changed now. But um, at the time, uh, it was just demoralizing. And then shortly thereafter, I had some epiphany. Oh, I'm going to be a musician. And mom says, oh, you're going to be a classical pianist. That's great. Went, okay. <laughs> and then the journey from there was discovering really what it means to be a musician and the diversity in the career. Fantastic. Well, you know, since you and I were teenagers at the same time in the early 1990s, I'm just curious what sort of music you were listening to on the radio. Uh, 
uh, I have a heart for <laughs> classic rock. You know, uh -huh. I, I have an amusement when I say classic rock because that's not classic rock. That's actual rock. But now they're all <laughs> like dad metal and stuff. But uh, I always had this sense that I was going to live in Seattle because of the music. And I'm thinking Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and uh -huh. Love Bone. And here I am in Seattle because of the music. <laughs> 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 Probably not as much Pearl Jam these days, though. Yeah. Well, you know, they have tribute bands. That's the thing. <laughs> well, that's yeah. true. So. so when did you start writing music? Um, Pretty shortly after starting piano lessons. And as outgoing as I am and outspoken as I am, like this was a privy deep, dark secret. Like people did not know. And um, it was, uh, you know, I, I talk about this innocently at like six and seven writing songs, mm -hmm. you know, and those are sweet. But this habit stuck. And, you know, it's going on into high school and like one song a month and like lyrics and arrangements. And like there was a friend, uh, my sweet friend Allegra, later elementary, I would draft her in and teach her the uh, parts, you know, and the parents would come by. What are you guys playing? Nothing. <laughs> Bach, um, some child of Bach, I don't know, you've never heard of him. <laughs> um, yeah, but then in college, um, kind of like more overtly and uh, more and more overtly, but that just, that seemed uncommunicable. I would have rather had someone read my diary, frankly, than to know that I wrote music. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. So I know that you, you've studied, you know, both composition and conducting would you say that you're more of a conductor or a composer, or would you say it's sort of split between the two? You know, every year it gets more and more further split and divided. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what I am anymore, you know, and I'm discovering that, like, by definition, um, you're, you almost have to be of service to the medium, you know, what's required. Oh, can't afford the orchestra. I guess I'm an arranger now because we need a string quartet. Uh -huh. you know, it's like, gee, I want to program this thing, but, you know, I can't find this piece that I want. I'm going to write it, you know, and uh, um, I have a pragmatism now as a single mom that, like, if they want to hire me, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> you, know, you want me to perform? I'm happy to perform. I will go learn that thing for you and, um, you know, present to confidence in the uh, first parts and then go on the back end and um, work like mad. But same thing. I have a little bit more of a pragmatism about writing and conducting now that uh, if I'm going to write, it's not going to be so much on spec anymore it's going to be um because i know now that's 15 hours a week for two or three months you right know, to do good writing and so it's more like do you have a use for this piece you know do you want to perform the piece after it's written you know because i'd be <laughs> delighted to write that you know instead of just you know emoting i, I tend right. to do that more in songwriting now that's just for me <laughs> oh there you go so you you do write online that your influences uh, are Rayfon Williams, Ruth Crawford Seeger, and Joni Mitchell. So what elements of each of these three do you see in your writing? Um, for Rayfon Williams, I would say it's the like the romantic expressionism of the well-crafted counterpoint. Mm. Um, I really took to heart the parallel octaves and the parallel fifths and the, you know, the doubled chord tones. But like, man, they got to serve, you know. Um, I'm not as, you know dogmatic as any of the big B's, you know, it's not Bach level or Brahms level or any of that stuff. But, you know, Rayfon Williams kind of pushes against it for the service of getting the colors of the folk music. And I really like that. Like there are times that there are parallel fits because that is serving, 
you know, um, but not to the point where we're really about losing independence of line. It's just that they all of a sudden they have become one line. Right. Um, yeah. And so uh, Ruth Crawford Seeger, you know, was off collecting American folk music for the service of teaching children, you know, but yet in her own right, there's this piece of arranging, there's maybe some early art song kinds of mm -hmm. things going on, but there's a pragmatism, there's a service element. Um, these resources almost exist because of her need to transmit this knowledge. And then uh, Joni is just this, you know, emotive, prolific songwriter that just defies description. And I can, in my mind's ear, hear all the criticism that she got. Like, well, what is she? Is she a jazz musician? Is she a rock leader? Is she a singer, <laughs> indie pianist? Like the heck is she doing on the guitar? Is that thing even tuned right? I don't know. And so I, just, I love that too, that uh, in a lot of ways, I have nothing to add to the tone cluster pointillism in choral music right now you know mm -hmm. it's just um i'm not very esoteric until i am for some other purpose you know so <laughs> i have my own drummer and uh i'm gonna just let other composers do their thing and shine on this thing that i cannot really contribute to <laughs> so. i think that's fantastic because i i can definitely hear all three of those things in the music you write so i think that's great so I'd love you for you to tell us about Blurry May, your collaboration with Bill oh, Baxter. <laughs> I think Bill Baxter might be um, both my voice teacher and my guitar teacher. Oh, yeah. And um, he's a friend of mine. And I like I uh, that was another big revelation to realize that, like, oh, I could have friends with the people <laughs> that I sing in choir with, even though, like, I'm on the front seat and they're on the risers. Um, and so at some point, like I started having personal friends and um, Bill, you know, just kind of yearns to be involved and sing and um, is open. He's fun to work with. And the two of us uh, were going to just stay after rehearsal one day and do um, this open mic at Google because I was directing uh, the Google staff choir and he's he was in it. And so we're kind of going offline from classical to rock, you know, and um, doing these things and uh, did a couple of those things. And then I'm like, oh, I wonder what other open mics there are. And by gosh, we could not get our schedules to align. He's a family man too. And um, with a day job, you know, mm -hmm. figure, you know? <laughs> and um, so the place we wanted to do the open mic, I was like, uh, I was asking them like if uh, my choirs could perform there and I didn't have enough music for a full set. And I was like, well, what if my acoustic duo takes the second half of the set? And they said, sure. I was like, hey, Bill, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, so we started working up the other half of the set for the choir, you know, to fill this out. And um, the venue writes and says, all right, well, we need a name for you guys. What's your name? I was like, oh, I'll get right back to you on that. I was like, hey, Bill, uh, we're a band now. What we, what's our name? You know, and then uh, so Blurry May arose out of the uh, pre-pandemic digital collaborations that we would kind of do. Uh -huh. um, he would record something and then I would kind of work up a virtual duet um, and kind of send it back. And so our um, file names were like Lori Bill, um, Lori Bell, and they started mutating and I kicked one back and it was blurry. And then we'd put the month on there and the date. So it was Blurry May, which sounded... Uh, kind of interesting to us but like yeah this kind of um arose out of a friendship in a cross-genre way and then uh, we started co-writing together 
Well, that's um, very cool. Which was fun too. And uh, pandemic kind of squashed us and then I moved. <laughs> so, um, but we have these remote skills and these tech skills. So it's just a matter of time at this point. So I'm also interested in your, uh, your, your choir called East Side Midday Singers. Yes. Yeah. Tell, so this is a choir that rehearses during people's lunch hour. Is that right? Yeah. So, so it's such um, a unique model. How did this all come about? Thank you. Well, I had a business model that the pandemic has kind of squashed. And so currently, <laughs> um, Eastside Midday Singers is looking possibly to rebrand and sort of shift. Uh -huh. But um, I was hope I was in the corporate world for quite some time as like the corporate spouse and working music around like this as a stay home mom, which is uh -huh. really my full time job. But you know, I can't, can't let it go. And it's fun to keep your hand in the game. So all of a sudden, it became really practical for me to do so. But the model I had in mind, if I was to be corporate mom and corporate wife, um, I was really working to try to um, put a lot of my work during the business day. Right. You know, and the kids are at school and spouses working and then have that family time at night. Um, so that's a lot of how uh, G Sharp, the Google Choir arose, and then they got reorged. And I thought, huh, you know, and I started thinking about this and there's a there's a convenience part to participating in stuff on your lunch break. You know, people will arrange to go to the gym, you know, and so I was thinking like, oh, one day a week, don't go to the gym, come feed your soul with choir and stuff. So um, I started looking at um, a choir that would be mine instead of like the Google staff choir. And it's like, well, how about anybody? You know, you don't have to be a Googler to come sing over lunch. And I ended up uh, attracting folks who are double dipping on their nighttime choirs. And it's like, I ended up with this like auditioned choir that I didn't have to audition. Because <laughs> they just, the different time of day made it really good. I got a lot of retirees that don't want to drive at night. Uh-huh. Um, had uh, a lot of the Googlers that came over anyway as they got reorged because they wanted to sing with their friends. Um, couple of other stay-at-home moms that are looking for, um, you know, some way to connect with their own individual interests. And down the street, there's drop-off childcare, you know, drop them off, pick them up. It was awesome, you know. And my thought was that there would be like East Side Wings. We'd have the Bellevue chapter and the Kirkland chapter and the Redmond chapter. I hope someone does this. Um, and, you know, Seattle or Renton or whatever, and everybody would have their own repertoire. And then we'd come together in a masked couple numbers or something and um you know the some kind of tuition where like tuition includes if you want to go to other rehearsals too you know, that sounds like, fabulous that yeah, sounds but fabulous. like corporate lunch is kind of dead right now as is corporate life everything is different now and i live yeah. further away now so um we're gonna figure out what becomes of east side that's right what happens but, next we'll see yeah it's a new chapter so you recently returned from a trip to maine <laughs> which for you is state number 50 to visit. So that is quite an accomplishment. I still have a handful on my list. So in your journeys through the states of the U.S., what were some memorable places that you would recommend? Oh, man. Okay, well, um, Maine is beautiful, and I don't think necessarily, um, man, I want to have a great beach vacation. I'm going to Maine, <laughs> but I am now. Like, man, you want a great beach vacation? Go to Maine. Hmm. The Maine coast is gorgeous, you know, and um, they're just beautiful and sweet little towns and um, very Washington in some way. Oh, yeah. Um, 
you know, craggy rocks and outcroppings and the coast is really interesting. And I'm kind of used to Virginia Beach being kind of a Washington DC type gal and Virginia Beach is like big stripe of sand, face the ocean. <laughs> um, Maine's a little more interesting, coves and nooks and crannies and um, real beach experience. I thought that was just beautiful. Love Boston. That was a great place to plant with kids and no car. We walked all over the place. Oh, nice. Um, we got to, um, we drove through North Dakota in a camper a couple times, because <laughs> if you want to go anywhere, you drive through North Dakota, it seems, if you live in Washington. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure there's a destination there, but if you ever wanted to know what North Dakota is all about, it's sunflowers, bees, and oil rigs. Mm. <laughs> miles of sunflowers sometimes oil rigs and then you'd see these white boxes close to the highway why do they do that and then you hit bees on the windshield <laughs> oh move those guys in you know but i'm sure it's convenience yeah um and i don't know recommendation let's see give us one oh, more mackinac island michigan mackinac no island bars allowed wow lots of fudge Lots of fun. Yeah. I'm there. I'm there. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I got one more question for you before you take a quick break. Uh, who is another living composer that you think that we should all go check out? Oh, boy. Let's see. Another living composer you should all go check out. You know, I'll cross genre here. I'm going to say Brandy Carlisle. Okay. You know, and she's local girl here for us, but, you know, she has some things to say and, um, you know, with the commercial element to her music, she has collaborator collaborators helping her, uh -huh. of course, you know, to orchestrate and put stuff on. But um, what genre is Brandy? I think uh, like roots rock or country rock. It's some kind of Americana. Um, okay. She says she can't get the country out of her voice. Um, but, you know, she she's kind of a Joni Mitchell re-envisioned and maybe even self-proclaimed as such. So mm. there's a little bit of that um, ping. But <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to listen to some of Lori's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Lori DeLeon. We're going to start first today with three American folk songs for Mary. So these are short carols for the Virgin Mary, highlighting the experience of motherhood and divinity. On your website, you write that you often seek to highlight undersung female themes in music. How does this set of pieces fit into that idea? Well, um, when I was a new mom, I would do a lot of... Um, nursing and it's a lot of sitting still and you know one out of every three hours or one out of every four hours or something 24 7 you know i'm sitting and rocking a baby and um maybe i'm singing something or i'm listening to something if i'm really lucky and um you know i really started to understand viscerally the role of the lullaby um you know and lullabies if if we're thinking of large choral works or large any kind of works um, they're really natural uh, for second movements. You know, they're slow and sweet. You know, do we do we program lullabies? Why not? And then I look out into music and I, you know, there are women represented and there are men represented, but there seems to be this mom-shaped hole. You know, where are the moms at? You know, and I know where we're at. We're sequestered meeting needs for a season, right? You know, yeah. and it's hard to contribute and do other things at that time. Um, 
But Alice Parker raised four children after losing her husband early. And she would talk about um, uh, washing the dishes and singing and having this kind of like physical movement you know, associated and, you know, really um, would describe also um, the, the process of composition, not necessarily requiring pencil and paper. You can work mm -hmm. out a lot mentally. And so I thought, started thinking about like female family themes. You know, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of grunt work and housework. And again, my experience was suburban wife for a long time. And um, there's a lot of uh, pick up and clean up and teach the kids and lullaby and, you know, endless ceaseless rocking where don't, heavens, do not change rhythm or your baby will wake up and you will have to do it again from the beginning for 30 minutes. <laughs> so there's like a, there's a desperation and consistency um, which was really interesting. And I think of that as a feminine theme because that was my own experience of it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the pick up put away song and the dumb little things that we sing. I like to eat the parfait. <laughs> then I have a great day. And when I have a great day, I like to eat the parfait. That's awesome. You know, and these are the things that uh, I will never get to publish or write. And I just sung the parfait song on your podcast. <laughs> I love it. So but, what, can, what can you tell me about these three pieces uh, in particular? So the, the cherry tree carol... Um, in the true nature of folk music does not have a set um, lyric or a set melody that goes with it. And in researching it found like three or four or five different versions that are just notated and then field recordings. And so um, I got to, I got to kind of make my own version, you know, is it authentic? Sure. In the sense that I am singing our nation's music and yeah. my version counts as much as anyone's. Sure. <laughs> Is it composed? Okay. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, there's this kind of mysticism and um, of it, you know, the, there's a very human quality where Mary and Joseph are having a spat where she's pregnant, they're not married. And he's like, Oh, yeah, well, let the daddy of that baby gather cherries for you. She asks him for cherries and says, oh, really, the child's father needs to do that. And so then what happens? The tree bends over down to her level because I'm sure she's very pregnant. There's no climbing trees here, you know, and she's picking the cherries because the tree bends over. And so the father of the baby did indeed give her cherries. And so in setting this, I got to kind of do some of these things that seem mystical to me. And this is where I used some interlacing parallel fifths in this Ooh, uh, <laughs> kind of accompaniment and uh, to highlight those, you know, it's an interesting answer to that question. Oh, yeah. Where's the dad? Where's he at? <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we are going to listen here to three American folk songs for Mary.
All right, our next piece today is The Wind That Shakes the Barley. So this piece centers around a young Wexford rebel during the Irish Rebellion of 1798. So I've actually set another piece that dealt with the same event, the Crappie Boy. So I was interested in this piece. Uh, I, I know you've worked with folk music frequently. So is this an original composition or an arrangement of an existing tune? Or where did this come from? It's an arrangement of an existing tune. And the way I first heard it was a traveling folk singer um, mm. who uh, talked about uh, singing this in an IRA bar and standing up on the table and belting it out. And so um, I bought a CD after hearing him and he was singing it and having no liner notes ahead of me, I set my version the way I understood his lyrics to be um, without necessarily researching what the lyrics were. Huh. <laughs> so it's interesting now to find that um, I think maybe I would not do it the same way again. <laughs> but, um, in some ways, you know, my arrangement is the hallmark of the aural tradition. Which oh, is sure. Music. <laughs> But it's a cool story that um, that the barley uh, is the seeds that were carried in the pockets of the soldiers for rations. And when they die, the barley would grow. Mm. And so the fields of barley are like this living tomb in some ways. And so in thinking about writing that, you know, I have a lot of two against three in the accompaniment. And I'm just thinking of like wind and patterns of grain, you know, and how yeah. that goes. It's not very ordered, but it is. Um, and then there's a death in the middle of wind that shakes the barley, but it's not who you think. And I had great fun with that. And that's actually what ended up impressing Walton. They're like, oh, oh. <laughs> so I'm convinced that was important, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're now going to listen to the wind that shakes the barley here performed by the Oregon State University Chamber Choir.
All right, our next piece today is Fragile. This is for mezzo-soprano and string orchestra, although a SATB version is being released soon, I understand. Mm -hmm. So to me, this piece seemed to have started out with ideas of sort of, you know, toxic fragility, the ability that humans have to get easily offended, especially in areas of politics. But later, the idea sort of shifted to the idea of human fragility or the fragility of life. Uh, am I sort of on the right path with this? I think so. Yeah. And, you know, the beauty of poetry is what is it about? You know, what does it mean to you? <laughs> so, um, but I do think so. And they were talking about um, the relationship, I think, of like the birds in the nest mm -hmm. and the bodies that have been buried. You know, that there's a nurturing of children in some way, but what about the children past? You know, um, are the is the bird covering them? covering them in the nest or is the bird covering them in the ground and like this sort of preciousness and this memory in some way so that's what it means to me so it's a hard um it's a hard concept i think you know anytime you have to sing about death yeah um, but it's so like this is really an important thing for us and it was a fun exercise to kind of put different feels into this there's a there's a rocking motion the lullaby comes back and this nurturing kind of thing and this sort of um this whole tone that rises consistently and repeatedly through the piece in the end it doesn't rise it settles on the lower tone and ends in a different key and trying to work to tonicize that so that we would accept that as the new resolution that does not rise and oh. uh, just thinking about the nest and the grave and all those things but Oh, that's great. You know, I just this morning of the day that we're doing this interview, I actually just found out that a friend of mine from high school passed away. Um, and so the the fragile human life is something that's really sort of resonating with me today. So uh, thank yeah, you for this piece. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to listen to Fragile here performed by the Moravian Philharmonic with Liana Sass as mezzo-soprano.
All right. Our last piece today, Nothing Gold Can Stay for two-part choir and piano. So this is a really new piece. You were commissioned to write this for the Northwest ACDA Summer Institute just this past summer in 2022. Uh, as a Northwest teacher, I love the fact that you said anyone who attended the Summer Institute can use this piece uh, this year with their choirs at no additional expense. So I plan to use it with my middle school singers this fall. So if I were to play this segment of the podcast for them, what would you tell them about the piece that would help them connect to it? Oh, this is great. Okay. Um, so nothing gold can stay. I like to think that poetry is really um, not only talking about what it's talking about, but it's talking about something else as well. This whole poem is about nature. Nature's first green is gold, like a seed, right? That's the first mm -hmm. green, the hardest hue to hold. Okay, I'm listening now. Why is that so hard? I see gold everywhere, you know, and then the poem goes on to describe, you know, the growth. And then all of a sudden, um, the leaves have turned colors and they can't stay because then inevitably they fall. So are we really talking about nature? Is this poem really about that? Or are we talking about life and death and things in general? And we have these kind of rare, beautiful things that come through but they're all part of this cycle and this process, you know, and hopefully this is encouraging that we're not just talking about death because, you know, death, yeah. but, um, but that can't stay either, you know, nothing, nothing dead can stay there either because after the leaf falls, then we've got spring again, you know, and that. And the circle of life. <laughs> but this is a circle of life song, if nothing else. I love that. I love that. Well, kids, I hope you were listening. <laughs> All right. We are now going to listen to Nothing Gold Can Stay. Whose green is gold, 
Well, Lori, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? Oh, I am working. <laughs> I'm working on um, writing a couple of original songs that my garage band can play. Okay. And so I'm kind of out of, uh, I'm not working on a choral piece right now. Um, I'm working on those. And I'm also, I guess I'm working on some lyrics um, to trade with another composer on the East Coast, uh, Mark Boyle. And he wrote some lyrics for me. And so our plan, although it's evolving, our plan is to trade texts and then write the music for the other's ensemble and then trade back to perform those. Oh, interesting. And we had originally envisioned kind of a multi-movement work, like a 10 minute thing, and we're scaling down now to octavo length, <laughs> um, which happens, you know, in yeah. and things like that. But um, yeah, so um, ultimately we'll get to compose or get to work with an ensemble on our own text to each other's music. So oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. I've been thinking a lot about words and lyrics right now, <laughs> both for the rock band and for <laughs> the East Coast Choir. <laughs> so. Well, if my listeners want to learn more about you, where are you located online? Uh, I have a website, uh, Uh two N's and an E, L-E-O-N-N-E.com. Um, I'm kind of a crazy Facebook booker. And um, my philosophy is generally, if we have a hundred friends in common, you're now my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I publish things like uh, musical things or pictures of my cat, you know, things are, that are um, pretty inert in general. But, you know, every now and then I'll throw musical things out there. So, um, yeah, or you can find me around Seattle. I love this community. It is just so wonderfully collegial. Um, yeah, there's always something to do around here, and we all support each other to the best of my experience. So, All right. Well, hey, listeners out there, make sure you also join us on social media to continue the conversation. I really do want to hear from you, whether it's a comment on an episode, a funny story, or just a music meme. Share it with us all. We're on Twitter at Movable Dough, Instagram at Movable Dough Podcast, and Facebook on the group Movable Dough Listeners. We'd love to see you there. Well, Lori, it's been a lot of fun to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me on Movable Dough. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> Go dogs. <Yeah. laughs> My guest today was composer Dr. Lori DeLeon. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. Yeah.